The first Bible reading is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the second Bible reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, having Merle and I, actually, my wife's here as well. So um, we're, we're really, uh, we really enjoyed the trip up this morning, the very, very quick trip up here. Um, and we're going to look at the Great Commission uh, today. Now, I did have some very, very fun slides. We're going to start with a quiz and look at some mountains and try and you are going to try and guess which mountains they were. But we're having trouble with the PowerPoint today. So um, instead... I'm just going to tell you a couple of mountains that I have climbed and see whether anyone else has done it. So I've climbed Mount Kosciuszko. Has anybody done that? Anyone done that? Okay, that's a fit bunch. All right. Uh, I, have, I have climbed to the top of Mount Blanc in France. Anyone done that? No, it wasn't really that. It was very expensive. But... Um, <laughs> Mount Lofty. Okay, all right. Okay, that's good. Uh, I've climbed Mount Barker Summit. Has anybody done that? Okay, okay, that's really encouraging. Um, do you know that Mount Lofty is about the same height as Mount Takao in Japan, which is about an hour's drive from downtown Tokyo? It's only the same height as Mount Lofty, but it gets 2.6 million visitors every year. That's amazing, isn't it? It'd be great if we could get a few more visitors up Mount Lofty. But anyway, what's this fascination with mountains? Because we love mountains, love climbing them, love taking pictures of them. Um, and if you go through world history, you'll see that people have had a fascination with uh, mountains, partly because it's the intersection point between the divine 
and the human. It's where the gods come down to meet the people. And so Mount Olympus is the home of the Greek gods. Mount Sinai is the giving of the law for the Jewish people. Um, Mount Zion is the location of the Jerusalem temple. And what is it with Matthew 28? When you have a look at that and you open and look at the Great Commission again there, you see that the disciples are mustered to a mountain 120 kilometres away from where Jesus died, was buried and resurrected. Why? Why does Jesus give the instruction to go to that mountain? That's quite a majestic mountain. Um, looks out over the Sea of Galilee. It's quite a significant cliff drop. It's, it would have been an amazing place. But the significance of that location is that Galilee was the kicking off point for Jesus' ministry in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4. And it was here that Jesus selected his team and it was here that we heard that famous address uh, of in Matthew 5 to 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew returns to the place where it all started. And in Matthew's Gospel, it wouldn't be complete if it didn't go back to this setting in Galilee. So I hope you can see that this is a highly charged setting for Jesus to give these words of the Great Commission on top of this particular mountain. We're going to have a look today at what makes that commission great. And I've got four points, and hopefully you can remember these. The things that make the Great Commission great are who gives it, who gets it, how we do it, and who goes with us. So who gives it, who gets it, who goes with us, that's the fourth point. The third point, how do we do it? So in verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you know that the sense is there. The sense is he's saying, all authority on heaven and earth has just been given to me right now, in this moment. All through Jesus' life, he demonstrated his power, his power over demons in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 9, um, sorry, in chapter 8 over uh, demons and chapter 9 over forgiveness of sins. Now that authority unfurls itself all the way down to death itself, the end point. And death is no longer welded to sin and the resurrected Christ is, no is not just a, a resuscitated corpse just revived to only to do his dying all over again another day. It's not some Bradman sort of inspirational sort of moment here, a memory that inspires you for generations to come. This is not some experience of positive thinking on behalf of the disciples. No, this, the, the way Matthew ends his story is the way that the Bible has been moving towards ever since the opening chapters of Genesis. God's patient and enduring po project to take finite human beings like us and turn us into eternal souls. Glorious. Now that's what the disciples are sort of struggling with. They have a transformed human being in front of their face. A resurrected Christ, glorified, whose natural powers and processes of decay have been halted. And it's an absolutely unique point in cosmic history. Christ is alive, he's real, he's physical, he's tangible, and, and now he says, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's not some raw power that is ripped off other people. It's all authority that's been given to him and conferred upon him. If you like, Matthew 28 is a like, like a, an enthronement. It's, it's like the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, where a formal declaration and a transfer of all power is put onto that person and is now firmly in their hands. What makes this commission great is the truckload of authority that comes behind the person who is speaking. All authority has been given to me. Nothing falls outside the gamut. No one does. And it echoes what we read from Philippians 2, uh, in, uh, verses 5 to 11. Therefore God has ex highly exalted him above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Everyone will buckle to this person because of who they are. Now, it's upon that incredible hinge that you get the next instruction, the mission of his followers is delivered. You see, because of all that authority, that they are to go and make disciples of the nations. And Matthew refers to Galilee as belonging to the Gentiles. If you go to chapter 5, he, he quotes uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who says these words, "'By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles,' The people who were, uh, who were sitting in darkness see a great light, and to those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. So up until the commissioning here in Matthew, um, that mission that Jesus had was limited to Israel, to the Jews, in chapter 10, verse 5. And now that mission just widens out. And it's a universal in scope. It's now going to all the nations now that he's resurrected. And it's not just a great recommendation from Jesus to do this. It's not his great suggestion for you. It's his commission and his command. It's his final charge. And he says, in effect, to them, go and reach people who know nothing about me. And this great commission is the response of obedience for those people who meet up with the risen Christ. And I want you to note the depth, not just the scope, but the depth of this, because Jesus doesn't call them to go and get people and just get them over the line to become a Christian and splash a bit of water on them. No, they are called to make disciples and they are to teach those people everything that Jesus uh, has commanded. Matthew's story um, will show you what a job Jesus had cut out for him, knocking these disciples into shape. I mean, there's so much misunderstanding and blindness and failure and sin. And when people start following Jesus, look, it is one of the most amazing things to be part of if you've been part of that process. But it's also very messy because of sin. And it's, it takes time because of sanctification. Now, Jesus says the disciple must turn into the discipler. They must do what Jesus had done with them. And the catalyst for making disciples out of the nations was the resurrection itself. 
I mean, what else could have motivated them? What, what other event could have catapulted them into mission? Because Jesus had all authority, he can now give Christians their marching orders. And in the strictest sense, you know, a missionary is not really someone who crosses the sea. It's someone who sees the cross and everything about it. He doesn't say, you know, like, go out there and maintain what you've got. Just hold on to the group that have come to know me. No, he says, he says an extraordinary mandate here. He says, make disciples of all types of human beings, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Many years ago, we had John Stott visit uh, Adelaide Town Hall, and I'll never forget his response to one person's question about growing pluralism in the West. And he said this, mission is not an impertinent interference in other people's lives. It is the unavoidable deduction from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why these people will go out, because they want to obey the Lord of the world. One of the saddest things I observe um, is the longer a person is a Christian, the smaller their group of non-Christian friends around them. And certainly I've been aware of that for my own life and I've had to try and counter that as a minister. And I've certainly worked on that with my children as well. But the Great Commission pulls you beyond your comfort zones. It takes you to people not like you. Um, it takes you to territory beyond what you've got nicely pegged out and thought that you were part of. The spread of the gospel is really one of the primary indicators that you get it, that you understand that Jesus is now Lord. So it's great because of who gives it. it great, it's great because of who gets it. But it's great also because of how he gets us to do it. Even as God is narrowing down his blessings to one man and one family and one people in the book of Genesis in chapter 12, he actually still has his eye on the whole of humanity at this point. Have a look at this, uh, I think, yeah, here it is on the screen. Um, I will make you into a great nation, says God to Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the Old Testament shows how that promise gets unfurled. Um, the Jews become an attractional community, and they draw people in like a magnet to find out about the one and only God. And the Psalms reinforce this, reinforce this if you go to Psalm 96, verse 3, or the prophet uh, Zechariah articulates the strategy here. He says, and many peoples... And powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. So, Johannes Blau was um, the <coughs> secretary of the Netherlands uh, Missionary Council. And he wrote a book in 1974 called The Missionary Nature of the Church. And that book is a game changer for understand if you want to understand mission and to have your view of mission shaped. What he observed was that the Old Testament missional model was a centripetal force. That is, it was 
compelling and pulling the nations in to come and see this God. And Jesus, at Jesus' death and resurrection, it's the great turning point where that force is largely, not completely, but largely reversed. And instead of the message of come to us, it's now go out to them. And you see that activity in the early church in the book of Acts. So that if you were a good Jew turned Christian in the first century in Jerusalem and you waited around for the nations to come to you, you'd be waiting forever. In some ways, the present day church can reflect that approach. You know, we fling open the doors and we hope that they'll come in. But God's people must go out into the world. And it's it's the opposite of centripetal. I'm not an engineer, but I understand the two forces. And I think on this picture, you know, one force will pull you in, centripetal, but centrifugal will scatter you and throw you out. And that's the model that Jesus is talking about here when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And it becomes the dominant model in the New Testament. And yet as churches and as individuals, I think we find this really, really hard to do living a missional life scattered throughout the world. Why? Why is it easier to lean into the attractional one? Well, I think, look, even with me doing workplace mission, I mean, supposedly I'm working with people when they're scattered and trying to help them in their ones and twos all over the place to be witnesses to Jesus. But you know what I find with this ministry? We're very tempted to put all our hope on public events that we put on. You know, they are good, but they are nothing unless they support a strategy that is centrifugal in nature. That is where we see people scattered and spreading the gospel wherever God's put them. Now, if you want to read more on this concept, you could go to a book by Andrew Scott, who was the CEO of Operations Mobilisation. In his book, Scatter, he observes that even if you just have a quick glance over the book of Acts, you'll discover that these Christians infected the world like a pandemic. Within 300 years, Christians had turned the Roman Empire upside down. How? Well, he says, this was not simply done by a bunch of preachers and missionaries holding gospel events, but by the energetic witness of people who lived next door or worked alongside those who did not know Jesus. They were business owners, they were labourers, fathers, mothers, storekeepers, merchants, carpenters, bureaucrats, officials, soldiers and landlords, living out their lives in these communities into which God had scattered them. God's people were scattered into every strata of society, from king to slave. Why, when it comes to the great news of Jesus, do you think, as Christians, sometimes we operate like we're in lockdown and we can't go out? You know, as a kid, ball sports were not really my thing. But as an adult, I went faithfully and dutifully to my son's soccer games. 
Um, I, and, and I really didn't understand how they all worked. But even I could see with the eight-year-olds that there was a problem because there was lots of activity, there was lots of energy expended, there was resources utilised, but at the end of the day, there wasn't a great deal of progress made <laughs> because what they would do is they would clump together and they would mass around the field like this giant amoeba throughout the whole time. They needed to spread out. But they bunched together. And I think sometimes as Christians, that's our strategy. Safety in numbers. Do you need to take up your position and spread out with the fame of Jesus where God has placed you? I want to ask you two slightly uncomfortable questions for you to sit with, okay? The first one is this. What does being scattered potentially look like for you week after week? You know, what's life look like for you when you're scattered away from other Christians? And secondly, what are some immediate things that I can do right now to help me spread out rather than clump together all the time with other believers? You know, in the Great Commission, Jesus actually reinterprets the creation mandate when he says, scatter. Go, make reflectors of God's image across the whole world. Now, after outlining this overwhelming task to reach people, Jesus says these words in verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Who goes with us? You see, <laughs> this is not just some warm fuzzy he's passing on here, but an essential component for a supernatural task. And the book of Acts records the comments of non-believers when they come across Christians. One of the most... <laughs> they are amazed at the confidence of Christians who are uneducated and untrained. And yet what they notice most is this. They say they've been with Jesus. And I think you don't have to be Jesus for your friends. You just have to be with him. Just to look like you've been with him. This is Jesus' commission and he will collaborate with you. He will connect with you. He won't just leave you like a shag on a rock to work it out for yourself. What a relief to know he is always with us. Wherever you go, wherever you take the Christian message, you are promised that Jesus' presence in the person of the Holy Spirit goes with you. You know, into your neighbourhood tensions, into your difficult family structures, into your hard workplace situations. The ability to implement this mission hangs on Jesus being alive and present. And that promise, according to Jesus, stretches from the first century to the close of the age. It fills the space. 
between when Jesus left and when he returns. And it reminds us that this Great Commission has a use-by date, doesn't it? I mean, there will be a day, there will come a day where there are no more beach missions to organise people in, no more big gingerbread events to try and set up for Christmas, no more, you know, apologetic book clubs to, to organise with people. That time will be over. So this is a promise not just to the first disciples who are gathered on that mountain, but to all those who follow Jesus till the end of human history. It's a promise that will never be rescinded. So Jesus came to them and he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Did they do it? Oh, you bet they did it. All down through the centuries new generations of Christians took this mandate on their shoulders. Well, thank God for Christians who took it seriously to spread out with the good news. Because that eventually reached you and it reached me. I read this charge... I can't evade it. I can't palm this off onto the keen beans. Or I can't outsource it to staff or to evangelists or to missionaries. It's my commission. It's yours. So... Matthew's urging his readers to move from spectator to player. Spectator to player. Think about where you'll be tomorrow. Think about your plans, and I know they're uncertain, for the year ahead. Where will going and making disciples you know, fit into that. What makes this great? Who gives it? All authority in heaven and on earth is now placed in the hands of the only one who will never see decay again and can reverse it for everyone else. Who gets it? Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That means all types, all shapes, all groups, a task that will take you beyond your comfort zone. How do you do it? Mission is largely going to be centrifugal. That is pushing out. What does being scattered going to look like for you, for me, on a daily basis as a church? How are we going to spread out? Who goes with us? He's always with you and he'll venture into those dark corners of the world where the shining of the gospel is desperately needed. Do you know, in prepping for today, I came across an old commissioning service when I was at Trinity City as one of the gathering pastors. And... This commissioning service was held on the 14th of February 2010 
and it was the commissioning of the original members of the Mount Barker church plant before they left. And so some of you were part of that. And here's what I, I actually said to some of you there at that occasion 12 years ago. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow. That's a little freaky. Here's the commission to those going church planting at Mount Barker at that time. You've heard the call of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. Will you be obedient to this call as you partner with Jesus' mission to people in the Mount Barker region? Well, 12 years, and after everything that's happened, are you still up for it? You know, besides new housing, I hope that something else is going to radiate out from that little summit of 517 metres and all it surrounds. We've got a great commission because of who gives it, who gets it, how you're going to do it and who's going with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this turning point of the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you for what makes it great. Help us to consider what it means to conduct mission when we're scattered and challenge our owning of this mission handed down faithfully to us. Amen.